question, we're going to think about the subject of church membership. Please could you turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16 verse 18. This verse has been referred to already, but I'd like to start here. Matthew 16 and verse 18. This is the words of the Lord Jesus. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ's promise, his prophecy, his sure word, that his plan, his ministry, and the plan of all eternity was that the church will be built. This is categoric. This is definite. Nothing shall overcome this plan. Literally the words, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, means nothing will stop God's eternal plan. Well, that's the first use of the word church in the New Testament, ecclesia, which we've mentioned already. And so it's my contention in this session that we have now that church membership should be compulsory. It should not be optional. Many today consider that there is just a loose attachment. We've mentioned this already. But the biblical definition of church membership is something that should be binding upon us all. Just turn over to Matthew 18 and verse 17. This is the passage that deals with sin. How do we deal with problems between believers? If there's a problem in the church, if there's a problem between two or more believers, what should we do? And here Christ teaches his disciples, Matthew 18, verse 17, and he says, And if he shall neglect, there's three levels of how to deal with the problems. They escalate. We start between believers if we can't manage that. We then gather a couple of witnesses, reliable people. And verse 17, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Well, it's a curious verse to use to prove church membership. But Christ has not yet launched the church. He's going to go to the cross. He shall rise again. And in those days after the resurrection, before the day of Pentecost, he will prove his power. But he's looking forward. He's looking forward to the time when there will be a gathered church, a defined church. Who are we to take our problems to? He says, take it to the church, the called out ones, those who will be gathered together who have given credible evidence that they are the people of God, take it to the church. He sees a defined membership of gathered believers who identify in a local church. So church membership should be non-negotiable. It shouldn't be optional. We have mentioned it already that people just go from place to place. I know of somebody in this town, he's not here today, in a typical three-month period, he's told me, 
He goes to half a dozen churches in the town. Now, Bible-believing churches in this town, there's not that many more than that, but he goes from one to the other to the other. He's a dear believer. I have affection for him. I've spent time with him, but he just hops from one to the other. We can't really minister to him because he doesn't really belong. He's not really one of us. If he turns up once in six weeks, we've had our share of his time. How very sad. The danger is, we've touched on internet church, that in this generation we become lone rangers. There's been an anti-authority culture. I won't have anybody tell me what to do. I'm my own person. Is that as we think as believers? It's the very opposite of how a Christian should think. Listen to Benjamin Keach's definition of a church. Benjamin Keach was born in Buckingham, not so far from here, and he went to London to pastor there at the end of the 17th, beginning of the 18th century. This is how he defines 300 years ago. A church is a body of believers pursuing unity who love one another and pursue godly lives where the word is preached and the sacraments are rightly administered. He had it right. This is what a church is, a body pursuing unity, loving one another, seeking to live godly lives, and we can help each other in that, where the word is preached and the sacraments rightly administered. Well, I want to consider then church membership. Church membership. It is firstly covenantal. It's a covenant. We don't really know what that word means today. We think it's old-fashioned. A covenant. Those of us here who are married, we're in a covenant. We've made a pledge. I hope a lifelong pledge. Something that only death should part. What is a covenant? This is the old definition. It is an agreement binding together in a relationship between two parties with each taking on obligations for mutual benefit and blessing. Do we view the church like that? Our church family, are we committed? Are we in a covenant that's binding? where we've taken on an obligation and the church has taken on an obligation towards us. When we join a church, it should be for mutual benefit and blessing. It's covenantal. What does a covenant mean? If we're a believer this morning, this afternoon, the Lord has died for us in a covenant that he committed before time between the three members of the Godhead. We call it the covenant of redemption or the covenant of grace. Are you now in a covenant with the Lord and his church? Or are we just drifting casually? We're prepared to be the recipients of salvation. And that's a wonderful thing. 
But having been saved by grace through Christ by faith, do we then just have all the benefits and none of the accountability and the responsibility that goes with salvation? It was never, never the purpose of Christ that an individual should be saved, transformed, and that work go on within their life, and then they become free rangers, lone rangers, drifters, independents, belonging only to the independent party. Well, secondly, church membership was assumed, and we've looked at the text, it was assumed by Christ that there would be a defined, specific membership. How else can you function as a church unless you know who's in and who's out? How can decisions be taken to appoint a pastor, to accept members into the church, to appoint officers unless you know who is in the body, who is part of the church, and who is not. Church membership was assumed by Christ. He looked forward, take it to the church, he said, even before the New Testament church was launched. Well, I want to thirdly look at the metaphors we could spend so long. I'm sure many pastors here have preached through a series. You can count up to ten. Some of them are slightly overlapping. Some say eight, but let me mention just six. The first three really have more of a relevance and they give a beautiful picture for the universal church. They speak as well to the local church, but the first is the vine. John 15, 8. Christ says, I am the vine. You are the branches. We are alive in Christ. We have all that we need flowing to us through the branches. Secondly, we think of the flock. John 10 is the passage that deals with this. The flock, Christ is the shepherd. Yes, we have under shepherds, but we're to be within the fold. We're to be identified with other believers within the flock. The third is the bride. And again, the references, Ephesians 5, 22. We've had that mentioned, the bride of Christ, the bride and the bridegroom. It's also mentioned in Revelation 21. But those three pictures, metaphors, they are dripped, if I can use the word carefully, all the way through the New Testament. They're here and there and everywhere. Those speak to the universal church. But there's three that I want to just pause on that speak more to the local church. The first is the family. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and to verse 18 and 19. And the proof text for these three that relate to the church that I've chosen are all in Ephesians, more for ease. Ephesians 2 and verse 18 and 19. Paul, writing to a specific local church, says, For through him, Christ, 
We both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers, foreigners. Could we add the term lone rangers? But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The term there, it speaks of a family. It is the fraternal word. It means that we have a relationship with one another. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer people that don't belong. People that come from, as it were, spiritually another country. We are of the same citizenship. We belong. We're those who've been called out. We're now of the household of faith. We belong. We're joined together. That's the family. We look at them individually and then I draw some points together. Secondly, there is the reference in the next two verses to the temple, to the building. The local church is seen as a building. Verse 21. In whom all those who've been saved are fitly framed together. They've been drawn out. They've been put into an organization where they are connected. Framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation, a dwelling place, somewhere where we belong, somewhere that we can say that's home, that's where our fellow believers dwell, for an habitation of God through the Spirit, the family and the building. Every believer should belong in a building, joined, cemented into that building. A building that's been designed where the architect is the Lord our God. Well, thirdly, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 and to verses 15 and 16. We see, you know what it is, the third of the pictures that relate to the local church and the sixth of these that, that we've drawn out. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. This is, of course, the body. Christ as the head, we as all the bodily parts. So it says in Ephesians 4 verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him, Christ, in all things which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Three pictures speaking of a local church, in some ways, they are remarkably similar. There's an overlap. They say much the same thing. The family has a father. The building has an architect. The body has a head. What does that speak of to you? Leadership. 
delegated leadership under the headship of Christ. Yes, there's a master builder, but there are also others that are builders. Yes, there is the father who's the head of the family, but there's also parents in every family. The body has a head. It has all the main decisions taken by the head. The others who are leaders are just following out, carrying through his instructions. Well, secondly, a family has rules, or it should do, hopefully not too harsh. It has policies, principles, rules, things, patterns, timetables, and a building is ordered. There's a way in, a way out. There's a direction around the building. A body is interdependent. There is a dependence upon one another. The arm and the leg need to cooperate usually, otherwise you'll have an accident. And in the local church, there are also to be order, governance, forms, patterns, timetables, duties, rotors, I hope not too many rotors. And then we think of the family, the picture of the family as being organic. You look at a family, a child is born, the family increases. Somebody is called home or dies tragically. The family contracts. A church is organic. I often think when preaching from here, Will the same congregation be here next week? Very unlikely. From one week to the next, ebb and flow, it's organic. The building has living stones. The body is a living body. The church is to be dynamic, moving, ever reforming. It's changing, it's on the march. Well, we think of the family. Mutual respect, that's how a family should be. We respect the parents, the parents respect the responsibilities and the challenges of children. A building has unity together. A body has complementary parts and the church is striving for unity and for togetherness. That takes some working because we're different. We each have preferences. We each bring baggage. And the Lord wants us to strive for mutual dependence upon each other and upon Christ. Well, we could carry on. There are so many aspects of these three pictures of the local church. But let me ask a different question. Who should become a church member? If you're thinking of church membership, if somebody's here, you've never been a church member, you've been a believer for five, ten years, what stops you? What are the qualifications? And this we can look at from two ways round, both from an individual that wants to become a member and a church that's thinking of receiving somebody into membership. Well, the first qualification and the most important one of all is it must be open, professing believers only. Those who've spoken 
of what the Lord has done for their souls. Clearly, as best way as possible. Keach says, if somebody's so timid, they can't put their words together, they stamina, let one of the officers give a credible account. It doesn't need to be hard, but it needs to be searching. Those who are walking uprightly, those who are leading a godly life, and those who have a profession from outside the church. Of course, if you're thinking of joining a church, we can only really join a church where the word of God is taught. The five solas of the Reformation, the doctrines of grace, the key scriptures and the key things which we stand for. But I add two more rules. And I call these golden rules. When we interview people for membership here, I ask this question. Are you, be, are you willing to be subject to one another? Ephesians 5, 21. If somebody says to you something in the church, will you be respectful? Will you be mindful of their thoughts, their desires, their preferences? That's what it means to be subject to one another. First question. If you're not willing to abide by that, we're storing up problems for the future. The second golden rule is will you be subject to those that have the rule over you? Hebrews 13, verse 17. If you will not agree to that, there's no need to join a church because you will not be surrendered to the authority which Christ has placed over the church. The men, they don't have authority themselves, but Christ has appointed one another and those that rule over the church to be respected. Are you willing to be subject to those two golden rules? Well, let's move on to some of the blessings and the privileges. Keach lists out in his family covenant, many of them, I won't have time to touch on them, but they're in the notes. He has seven. He says it's for our sanctification. He says that church membership should be the means through which we access all the means of grace. The Lord's table should be fenced, should be kept to those who are willing to surrender to one another and to those that have the rule in the church. People that just go from one church to the other and they take the means of grace here, there and everywhere. They have all the privileges but without the responsibility that goes with the most sacred of all things. Thirdly, he says... You join a church, you have the privilege of the prayer of the Lord's people. It's care, it's love, it's mutual support. There's a sense in which at the church prayer meeting, we pray most for those who are members of the church. We pray for others. Fourthly, 
We're to have the moral oversight and the spiritual counsel of those who are above us. Fifthly, we're to have the opportunity to serve, ideally, those serving in a church should be members of that church. Sometimes we make an allowance for different reasons. Sixthly, if you want to enter into the full life of a church, its decisions, its important appointments, you need to be a member of that church. And finally, in the delightful way that Keach says it, when you're a member of a church, you only are privileged enough to see the wonders and the marvels of the hand of God upon that church, because only you will have the information of what's going on within the membership of a church. Now, Thomas Guthrie has this delightful quote which was given helpfully to me. He says this in a book called The City, Its Sins and Sorrows, speaking of the church. He says, Christians are like soldiers. It's easier to fight in a regiment where the soldiers stand shoulder to shoulder than to stand alone in some lonely outpost. He says that we are each like coals. We should be burning hot. And the coals burn the brightest when they're gathered into heaps together. And we're like trees which the Lord plants closely together. And then we grow the tallest in our development. Well, can I touch very briefly, finally again, on what Keach mentions as the responsibilities that come with church membership. He has, again, eight things. I briefly mention them to you. We are, firstly, to walk in all holiness, godliness and humility and brotherly love. Secondly, he says, church members... We're to watch each other's conversation. He didn't mean what we say. We're not to eavesdrop. But what he meant was our way of life. We're to know each other well enough that we can encourage and stir up one another to good works. We can warn gently. We can rebuke. We can admonish in meekness in love for one another, according, as Keach says, to the rules that Christ has left to us, the one another's. Thirdly, he says that we can pray for one another. Fourthly, we can bear one another's burdens. And when we become members, we are promising and pledging that we will bear each other's burdens. We view others' burdens as more onerous and irksome than our own. And we're pledging to bear, to help, and to care for one another. He says, fifthly, we're to bear with one another's weaknesses and how much we need to do that. We're all weak. 
We're all frail, and we're to bear with the failings of each other and to care for one another. He says that we're to strive for the truth of the gospel, its purity, its proclamation, and we're to strive together in that work. You may not be an open-air preacher, but you can pray for the open-air preaching on a Saturday lunchtime, and you can bear up one another. He says that we're to meet together on Lord's days and at all other times as the Lord gives opportunity. And then finally, he adds, your duty as a church member is to communicate with your pastor. What does he mean by that? Send an email? No, you might do that. But you're to care, encourage, and support your pastor with edifying words, with feedback. I found that so helpful. I struggled a bit with that. Preferably not five minutes after the service. But you are to communicate lovingly, caringly, encouragingly to support the one that Keach says Christ has ordained to be above the people, not in importance, but with the word of God. And in that way, you follow through the responsibility that you have taken on when you have become a member of that church. Just in conclusion, church membership is the total antithesis of what has rightly been called evangelical consumerism. Shopping around, a bit of this and a bit of that, behaving more like tourists than covenanted believers. Christ gave himself for the church. He sacrificed himself willingly for the church. God's plan was to build his church. Can we not covenant to one another and to our Savior and give ourselves, not for my church, but for Christ's church. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, we would have a high view of the church which Christ gave himself for, willingly, covenanting in time past, that Christ should come into the world and that Christ should suffer and die and give himself for his people, calling them out to be set apart ones that should be gathered regularly together. O oh Lord, bless each one of us that we will take this charge solemnly and seriously to be in the gathered physical church 
May we be aware of the blessings and the privileges that come with this, as well as the accountabilities and the responsibilities that Christ would have for each one of us, that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this now for his glory and for his sake. Amen.